Welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. This is Jeff Groman, uh, your host, and I am joined today by Yishai Be'eri, who, you know what, Yishai, I'm even going to try and, and introduce you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've been doing, and what you're doing today? Hey, Jeff. Great being here. So I, uh, like, like you said, my name is Yishai. I'm uh, based in Tel Aviv, and I've, I've been a software developer or an engineer in uh, basically all of my career. So straight out out of military service, started a company doing consulting, basically doing software projects for you know various customers. Been making a living of that for almost eighteen years. Then joined a startup called CloudLock, which was a cybersecurity startup uh, in the CASB space. That was in twenty fourteen. Two years later, we got acquired by Cisco, and then I spent a few more years in Cisco, leading their site in Tel Aviv. And a little over a year ago, I um, left Cisco to join LinearB, which is a startup uh, founded by two of my friends from CloudLock. In LinearB, we uh, we focus on understanding and improving the development process, really helping dev teams, developers, and dev org leaders to make the most of their their time and efforts. Cool. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So yeah, let's unpack that a little bit and, you know, try to understand that. So maybe what I'd like to do is maybe explore the issue a little bit more. So I'll give you my, I think for a lot of our listeners, they know that I'm not, you know, really in that, in the application development or software development world, but I see it from the outside. When I'm working with clients, we're talking about application security. And let me give you a couple of my observations and then tell me how, how you guys at Linear B are trying to like you know, solve some of these problems. So I one thing I see in application development, even today, and I'll preface this by saying that a lot of my clients are enterprise clients. So they're not, I would say a lot of them don't have, haven't really adopted a true agile culture yet. And that doesn't mean that they're still quote unquote waterfall or, or whatever. It's more, you know, and they may be doing sprints and trying to measure their work and story points and sort of doing all the agile stuff, <laughs> at least on, on the surface. But I think the, the culture isn't, isn't quite truly agile. And what I really see a lot of is development teams where individuals or, or teams sort of just see their little box, right? They see the little piece of functionality that they're working on, and they don't necessarily really in tune with, okay, what's the bigger picture? 
sometimes to be honest, I, I'm not even sure that they really understand like why are we building this piece of software? How do our customers use it? What exact has it fit in with either our revenue or our business processes or or something like that? I just found that sometimes there's a sort of this tunnel vision. And I have to feel like that's, I mean, I just have to assume that that's, that's part of what the problem might be. But that's one observation that, that I would make. I think the other one is that I see that there's sort of like, I see a lot of this sort of siloed approach too, where you, you might have a developer who's doing, who's just focused on this piece, and then maybe some QA test people who are building their test cases and doing their thing. But again, they're sort of just focused on that piece of it. And trying to sort of bring it all together is what I see. Again, as this outsider, I see a lot of companies that really sort of struggle with how do we do that? How do we get this all together? And I think what I think what I see again, the struggle being is that it makes it that it's so hard to get additional defects. Like when we find application security defects, right? Trying to get those into the roadmap becomes a huge struggle for companies because their roadmap is already out two years with features and and other other commitments that they've made. And I feel like there's just so much inefficiency in this entire paradigm. So, right. so I think wanna, I think like the, yeah, the stuff, the, the things you're you're talking about, they sound like different problems, but I think they're incarnations of of the same core issues. Software development is uh, is complex. Typically, it's it requires great communication and coordination between multiple people. The the to, to have people like more of the developers understand and, and really feel the broader context. The only way to do this is with great communication and constantly pushing context down so that I'm not like, we like to say uh, our CEO uh, wrote a, a blog piece about this. Every line of code is a business decision. <laughs> and once you realize that like develop developers are creative, they, they're doing creative work, but it's also within the constraints of something has to eventually run robustly and provide value for the customers. So communication, like making the, sure that the right information flows to the right people at the right time is key to getting the broader picture. It's also key to coordinating and understanding how the pieces fit in because if we're working as a large team on a complex thing, there are going to be integration and dependencies and timing issues. So these are solved or, or they, the problems become worse if communication is not good. So, and then the third thing you mentioned was like inefficiencies. Whenever I need to wait on someone or I don't know the status of something that I depend upon, there's going to be inefficiencies. Whenever people context switch between tasks and developers do that a lot, there is a tax on some people uh, chalk it up as a, up to 20% on any context switch that is not yeah. like beyond just, I don't know, a few minutes. <laughs> so being aware of the different activities that developers need to partake in and understanding when is the right time to do what, but also having visibility. When is that this piece of code or, or feature or bug that I'm working on? When does it actually impact customers? Is it actually live? When you have these, these silos and developers are writing code and the only thing they know is that they pass this on to the next box in the chain, they tend to get this tunnel vision and they become uh, like uh, Charlie Chaplin on the, on the factory floor. But when they are exposed and are aware of the, like the, whole, the whole pipeline and where 
oh, my small fix or my neat feature actually made it and got used by a thousand customers. That really brings in the, or helps create that bigger picture. All obviously sense of satisfaction. Uh, developers like, I mean, we're kind of human and hopefully, we, and we, we like to, to, to know that we're, what we're doing has impact, has actually made it and provided value in the world. So all of these things together, I would say revolve around communication and context floating around and revolve around improving or having cohesive piece, uh, picture of all the pieces that are moving, what's the process, what, is, what things are blocked, how do I uh, become more efficient as a, as a single developer, but also as a team. A lot of what you describe really uh, rotates back to these questions. And we've also seen that as if you look at North Stars of well-functioning dev teams, modern teams that are able to reduce these inefficiencies. So yes, obviously the move to agile or to whatever the, the new Fed is, going away from the notion that you can plan everything and then just execute. We know that life is not like that with software development. There are well-known and well-studied directions in which modern teams go and, and, and reap the benefits, like being able to automate delivery integrations and delivery with CI and CD, like driving to a high frequency of deploys instead of a waterfall or, or, or a once in a quarter version. It's very like micro feedback loops on things that I do instead of working on huge tasks that live for months or weeks and then eventually get QA'd by someone else. All of these motions are, I would say, incarnations of the same thing really help the context float around instead of being serial, tight chains or tight loops of feedback and communication and finding and cutting down inefficiencies around context switching, around being blocked by like a roadblock of dependencies, slicing down the, the units of work, the deliverables so that they're all, they can fit in someone's head and start and finish in a day or in an hour rather than in three weeks. Even if they're small, if they're very, iterative, a lot of the value now is built as cloud applications, as SaaS. So there are, we can afford to make very like rapid deploys and, and iterative changes. This is different when you're shipping a, an, a car or an engine, right? A physical right. or even software that lives on, a, on an embedded device. The cycles for like can be shorter and, and there are gains to be had for this. So, you know, it's funny, one thing that you mentioned in terms of like the context switching, I feel like that's something that we talk about or we hear about in so many different areas of, of life. Like it, it's it, it is the vein of the modern man. It, uh, it really is, right? It's, I think we've learned a lot about, there used to be this mantra. I mean, you, you said that you've been around for 20 years. I know I, I that's about my, my career as well. And, you know, it used to be talked about like, there's even like, at least here in the States, people used to recruit you know, like the position description would talk about, we want people who can multitask, right? I mean, there was such like yeah. the, the thing at the time, like maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was. And I think hopefully by now we've all learned that that is just a complete, complete fallacy that that, that just doesn't exist. But we had, and I was just looking it up, I was trying to remember who it was we spoke to back in April of, uh, at the end of April this year, we spoke with, we spoke with uh, Mason McLeod from software.com. They do, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they do developer productivity stuff. 
Yeah. And he was really interesting. They're, they're talking about that part of, I, I think the part of the product what, uh, would actually measure, you know, it's, it's running on the developer's workstation and it actually measure productivity. And what part of what they're doing was, or what he was saying was that like overall, like look at all the clients, they would, they would tell them, listen, don't schedule meetings between, I think it was like seeing like the hours of, and it's like your local hours, but your local hours of nine to 11. And then I want to say it was like three to five, because they said that's when developers are the most productive. Like that's just yeah. when they're getting all their creative work done. Let them have that window, those two windows, you know, one in the, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, schedule everything else around that. And I thought that was such a, like an insightful idea of letting people block off time. I, I have too many meetings, said no one ever. So I think like if 20 years ago, people were recruiting for that multitasker because they wanted people that would not freeze if they had three things on like right. three different things they need to do in their workday. The other side of the pendulum is that we all get distracted by a myriad of uh, alerts and notifications and oh. whatnot. And then there's the like the workday multitasking or or conduct switch where with meetings and really different pieces of things that we need to take care of. Yeah. So I think it's I would say you you're not going to escape context switching. It's part of life. Right. But what you can do is is be smart about this. You yeah. can be as a single like as a as a person, but also as a team or as an org that is working on development work or otherwise. You can be proactive and be smart. For example, if there are tasks that are like you need that in the zone time, like those space between meetings, or that if I get yeah. if I get a ninety minutes in the zone every day, I'm happy. I'm like, right. whoa, <laughs> so much I can do with with one in the zone session if I can actually get to it and get go there uninterrupted. So planning around those times, being uh, aware. Oh, I just context switch because of another reason. Then let me do some of those tasks that are waiting to interrupt me. In in the developer world, if I have some pull requests to review, maybe I should do that right after lunch, right? Or right after that meeting, because I've already context switched. I'm not in the zone. Right. I can deliberately take them off of my of my queue or find those uh, pieces that will not interrupt me later. Or if I have I don't know, 20 minutes between meetings. This is garbage time that I cannot really right. use for creative work uh, in the zone. So being proactive really helps to reduce or, or make the context switch tax much lower. But right. it, it is an art, right? And, and we, I think we all suffer from it, being able to focus no, on I, two I, things that matter. I like that idea. I mean, I think you're right. I think it, it's an art. I think it's an art more than science. I think you're absolutely right. And technology can really help here. Like if you have tools that are aware of your calendar and aware of your peers' calendars and can really help integrate the communication or the tasks that flow between people. Right. Uh, for example, being aware that someone is right now in the zone, maybe lost, let's not interrupt him, but let's make sure this waits for him when they're yeah. they've already context switched. That is way, a, a place for technology to really help. And right. developer work is really full of that interaction between people, uh, back and forth, code reviews, quick question about something, all of these. Right. Uh, like it is a group activity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and respecting people that do not disturb or whatever it is, depending on the communication platform. Exactly. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in the zone on this. Like, 
I'm not I'm not answering Slack or, or whatever. I, I always forget to turn on. Like if I'm in the zone, I don't remember that I need to tell anyone that I'm right. Well, so I, I want technology to help me protect that. Exactly. That's where technology can step in and say, well, if I've got that in my calendar, let that integrate with all my other communications tools. And it just updates them and says, nope, don't disturb. Or or detect that I'm in the zone based on whatever. That would be even cooler. <laughs> and, and, and really fence off automatically for me. Oh, this guy is not like, so it is not, I, is, this is that, guy did not change the window like the right. for five minutes. For him. Yeah. They're in the zone or they're dead. <laughs> We'll, we'll say in the zone. Well, they're in the zone. Some zone, yeah. Is that something that Linear B does, or is that I'd love to hear more about, like, sort of where the, what are the products that you guys have? But is that something that is part of, I guess, the Linear B uh, portfolio um, to sort of help people? So, so, so uh, yeah, we, we're we've started to go in that direction. Like calendar awareness is definitely on our short term uh, roadmap. Okay, but already we're already providing technology that helps the communication between developers around the code, coding cycle, coding, reviews, merges, and so on. So helping developers be effective in how they communicate or how we communicate for them to make that multi-developer interaction or dance happen more efficiently. So even when there is a context switch, it's still within a broader context. There is some situational awareness it's different to context switch about a task that I've been working on 30 minutes ago or something that has been laying around for two, uh, for two days. Right. So right. the ability to improve that process for the developers is already a step in that direction. And being deliberate about context switching is key here. It's not the only thing, but it's, it's key here. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software, and what makes it so unique is that it not only tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit Raygun.com to resolve issues faster and deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's Raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. How do we help? So let's maybe focus on that one. Communications, because I, I agree, I think it's it's such a challenge. How do we do that? What what are your ideas, or what what are the company's ideas around? Like, how do we make communications more contextual, more efficient, right. less waiting around? So, so uh, I would say I would say we start with two things, and and like like any product, if you find that people are already doing things in a half baked way or manually, and then you can improve that through technology. I'll give the like the example that when we are working or we were working before we had our own tools in Linear B, when I needed to tell one of the my, my peers that I have reviewed their code and asked for changes or that I have approved their changes or that I have a pull request and I'd like them to, to look at it, I would like do what I need to do in GitHub and also Slack them. Yeah. Because I knew that they would not listen or get the message. Email is way too late. Yeah, uh, and no one looks at, a, at that folder, <laughs> and so I would. This would be like an ad hoc Slack message. Hey, 
I've, I've approved your PR. Can you take a look? Or I, uh, can you, you can go ahead and merge it. And that be, because of like the nature of the being very manual, it would be very poor in context. It would like, if I was nice, I would put in a, a link. Otherwise I would just tell them there's a PR or like, this is a, like just me slacking uh, someone all manual. So the context is, is lacking, obviously no awareness of their situation, no follow-up unless I nag and I need to remember to nag as well because it's, I forget right. about this too. And because it's all like, it's, it's best effort. I can't really rely on them listening to all these cues. Once we've started using our, what we call worker B, which is basically our orchestration layer for really understanding and automating the development process, Linner B does this for me. If I approve someone's PR, they are going to get an alert from Worker B in Slack with all the context, with the link to the PR, with the more information about that PR and which Jira ticket it's related to. All of that context is there automatically for them. They can choose to snooze it or whatever. And we've all come to, to rely on this. I, I know I don't have to communicate because Linner B is going to do that for me. And Linner B is going to follow up. So all you're doing is you're doing your workflow within, let's say, GitHub, and it's yeah. the rest of it's all the integration takes over. Yes, yes. I don't need to, to do a back channel communication just to let them know that I've done something in a system that already has a perfect log and record of everything like Git and GitHub tend right. to do. So that is one example where technology helps make the communication much better and smarter. And the next step would be to be aware of their calendar and maybe maybe suggest another reviewer if this one's busy or away. That's just an example. But also there is, I would, if, you know, if I look at the, the communication is, part of it is about the daily work. Like we work on things and we need to hand off pieces of, of the process to someone else, or I'm waiting for the CI test to run. And when they're done, I can do something. So right. Well, let me pull that page. Let me know when they're done. And then I can move on. And then there are all of these things that are stuck or taking too long or are like out, outliers in the process. And that's where the process breaks. Yeah. So again, this is where technology and Linner B is a, you know, a good example. We alert the team. We, like, we can communicate with the entire team on, on Slack, for example, and tell them this pull request has been waiting for three days and no one has picked it up. Right Now as a team, which I, we, we believe that's the main organ that owns software development, not as not a single developers, but actually the team. Yeah. Now someone can pick it up or the team or the team leader or whoever can decide what we need to do with this and avoid this PR from getting waylaid for an additional few days. Right. And same so so for delays, for risky code, other cases where all the you know those 10% of the PRs or 10% of the code changes that are, are either stuck or create a problem. If we can shine a light on them in, in, in real time where developers already already live and interact, we give the team a chance to really fix it and move on. So that's the, the examples of how we improve the communication. I, I really yeah, I I think those are really interesting ideas. One thing I was just thinking about because you know, we we were just talking with uh, well, it doesn't even matter because I think I feel like so many of the conversations that, that we have in this podcast. We're talking to folks who are really sort of doing some interesting things, like really sort of pushing pushing the edge. And, and it's interesting, like one, I guess, one technology that comes up over and over again as a default is, is GitHub. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, 
But what about, I'm thinking about all my enterprise customers, clients that I work with, where they're probably not using GitHub, they're using some in-house repository, Microsoft or whatever else, IBM's, there's so many, you know, in-house repository technologies. What do you do? Like, are you, you know, or are, you know, I guess I'm just going to ask you to answer for, for linear view, but are you sort of tied in with, with GitHub? And I get that that's sort of the de facto today in general, certainly in, in the startup world. But what if you're not using GitHub? Does that sort of... Right. So I think that there are two layers here. There's Git, the actual code, like repo, and you have providers like GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, Atlassian's on-prem Bitbucket, like Stash and so on. Azure DevOps has Git and so on. So, so many providers that layer on top of Git and, and have a model for pull requests and code reviews on top okay. of the core Git repository. Right. We support and, and, and tools in our space uh, typically support multiple providers, including on-prem GitHub as an enterprise uh, server, as do all the others, GitLab, Atlassian, and others. So we definitely support both on-prem and, and cloud deployments of these solutions. We do rely on, first of all, Git. So we don't do Subversion or uh, TFS or other uh, even older code repositories. That's There's nothing stopping a solution from supporting these uh, solutions as well. It's more like focusing on where there's growth and uh, yeah, absolutely. Then, and I'm not trying to point the blame there. I'm just thinking, right. you know, the comments that I get from a lot of, when we talk to clients is, is yeah, we'd love to do that, but we're stuck in the same world. Yeah. So uh, like, frankly, if if a, a, a vendor like us goes into that space, they probably, uh, the, the approach I would, I would choose is use some APIs. So you can basically inject anything to a solution like that, like any signals or metrics. Right. But so far, we've 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 been able to work with you know enterprise uh, customers you know of size, and those are that are still behind probably need to work. They're not immediate uh, customers of ours or anyone in our, in our space for that. But the, the the core ideas are not different. I think that the core idea that without which really we can't help is that you have a process that is based on code reviews, and it's not a single developer does everything or completely takes things end to end so that the team work is, is material here. There is a review process and a merge process of sorts. I think that is the, the, the single core requirement right. for, our, for our space and for our, for our model of uh, development process. Yeah, that's probably a good point in general is, is you can't automate what you don't, if you don't have a process, you've got to have a process first before you can make it more efficient and you can make it and you can automate at least portions of it. I think that's that's probably a lesson yeah. learned across whatever field you're in. That's right. And, and if you look at the dev process, then there it, there is always a process, but in many cases, it's not very well articulated or or defined or right. tooled. It's right. more like yeah, more this consistent. is how you do it. It's not yeah consistent or it's more like yeah. This is how we did things yesterday. This is how we maybe we decide to make a change, but it's at least one area of the dev world that is uh, very much manual and oral, which is also an opportunity. Uh, all those orchestration uh, solutions that I talked about and all those messages around letting developers know that now it's their turn to move something forward. This is all comes from understanding the process and basically having a model for it. And once you have 
the data to understand the process and you have models for like understanding what this is, you can start helping with automation, but also finding those outliers under the problems. Where is the process apparently broken, right? I have PRs in, that are not linked to Jira, to Jira tickets. So now they're like shadow right. work. Right. And no one really knows about this work and it's not part of our planning process or our overall project management world. So that's another example of a broken process and an opportunity for technology to help. Right. Help you prevent that, help you fix that without need, needing to go into that other tool and start filling out fields, bring everything to you. That is all opportunity that to make the development process automated as code, if you like, right. and more efficient. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about as we're trying to implement some of these new techniques, we probably want to start to measure what we're doing to see, hopefully we're measuring before, maybe measuring after, and, and we can see the improvement. That's sometimes easier said than done. What are your thoughts or you know, how, how do you approach collecting metrics and just measuring these activities? Right. So collecting or, or measuring the development process is not easy or trivial. Typically, or there, there's been uh, times where the things that are easy to measure and most obvious to measure are the wrong things, like <laughs> velocity yeah. uh, or code lines. Lines of code. And, everyone wants to look at that. And whenever you measure the wrong thing, and in particular, if you focus on like rewarding or, or right. you know, even making that measure visible, you will get more of what you measure. Yeah. You incentivize it, right? So if you yeah. want people to write inefficient code, they will write more code. They will write more code lines, or they will write more more code like comments in the code. Exactly. That's very easy, even if they're not trying to game the system. It's just just natural. So I think there was a if you look historically, there was a wave of vendors and and companies that looked at measurements in a very simplistic way, focusing on measuring developers, measuring their output in a not so smart way, comparing developers or stack ranking them. And yeah. this has this will get you the wrong behavior and will cause cultural problems. Yeah. And then but but the notion of needing to measure my like understanding that development and the dev org are probably the largest single like uh, cost center in the company or everything is softer, right? We all know that. And it's yeah. eating the world more and more things are actually now happening in code. So that's a huge department. And if you're not measuring how it's working, then you're not going to be effective or, or, or smart about this. You can't really improve what you, what you can't measure. Yep. So people still want to measure. And there's been some major advances in the past few years with research and modern ways to think about the, the development process as both as a function of a team rather than individuals measuring DevOps metrics like Dora, like uh, Space. There's the Accelerate uh, book and research and, and, and a really wide body of, of work uh, and experience around how modern teams should think about measuring what they're, what they're doing. Right. So uh, focusing on cycle time as opposed to focusing on outputs. Like if you measure how fast we're doing things, it's better than measuring how much we're doing. So, so there are modern ways to measure modern teams that will not foster the wrong behavior and will also not create the cultural problem because you're 
you're measuring the team as uh, or giving the team the tool to measure how they how their work and how their efficiency is rather than putting labels and numbers next to people's names and saying oh this is the weakest developer because they've only committed uh, 10 lines of code or 10 made 10 commits so that is like our focus is very straight on measure focusing on the team focusing on metrics that really go to the heart of improving the process that you know if someone gains cycle time you're probably gained because of that so if you manage to improve cycle time consistently across the board i don't care if you're gaming that's the right thing you're gonna gonna win it's like uh you know smile uh we know that physically smiling makes changes in your brain right right exactly Uh, that is the kind of gaming that i would like to see yeah right so that is the the like that problem, I would say, is is now much more tractable with with tools that collect information from multiple systems. The dev process is well documented. Git and the Git providers uh, have a great record of everything that's going on. And then additional systems like the project management, the Jira's of the world, CI/CD. Uh, because of all the automation, there's also a wealth of, uh, of data. Right. Right. You can tie this all together and have great measurements, have understand trends, and also move the like improve the process proactively, not just by measuring, but also being part of the engine that moves out, moves it along. Right. Cool. Any final thoughts or anything that we haven't covered that you feel like, you know, we really gotta talk about this one thing that we haven't spoken about yet. So the one thing we have learned, and I think this is uh also important in the mindset of anyone thinking about observability of the dev process, uh, dev metrics, and so on. We, we've learned, learned, learned this uh, through our customers and through what worked and, does, and did not work for them. Measuring and, and having dashboards for managers is a great first step. It's not enough. Right. It, you can't improve what you can't measure and see. But if you stop at, at a manager dashboard that they consult once a, one, a month or three weeks, that's only going to get you so far and that you're really blocked. The key to unlocking all the efficiencies and all the, the benefits of really reducing context switches and, and killing the outliers and the stuck work before it becomes a real problem, the key for that is in adoption and getting to the hands of the actual developers. Right. Something that helps them proactively, very tactically, is fully aware of the dev process and complements the measurement picture. But right. without that adoption, you're really stuck at this glass ceiling of how much how much better you can get as a team. Once you're you get to the hands of the developers, and you know, developers, we like things that save us time. We love things that uh, save us uh, from going to another dashboard or another right. Right. tool. And mundane tasks, we hate them. So if you give me something that helps me automate or automates for me and protects my time and reduces my context switches, I'm going to be a happier developer and I'm going to be way more effective. Right. So that the, the adoption, I would say that's the, the secret sauce, getting to the hands of the actual developers on the team and, inter, and interacting with them daily or multiple times a day as they work to help yeah. them with their work is, is the really big next step. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. 
Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. No, I, I like that idea a lot. Because I, I mean, too often we see that the metrics are only for the managers, the leader, you know, executives, et cetera. And uh, yeah, getting them in the hands of the people who can actually make a difference and letting them see, hey, this is what's, you know, and it, especially like what you were saying, if the metrics are showing you what's going well and what isn't, and they can action off of that and say, oh, yeah, hey, maybe I should I would do whatever it is uh, a little bit differently. I mean, that that's that's an amazing concept. Um, again, you got to get the right information into their hands, though. Right. And, and sometimes it's not just pushing metrics to developers, but it's switching the lens and saying, instead of giving me a measure of like, how well I'm at, is the team doing on some axis, give me a, like, help me resolve a specific instance. Mm-hmm. Help me push for it. And this is my work. I need to, to get this done. So just right. you help me to get this done. The metric will improve. Right. And even if I don't care about the metric every day, because I'm getting things done, right. this will improve by right. virtue of, you know, you save me some time. You help me avoid forgetting things. Help me right. avoid needing to nag someone. That will improve the metric, but I don't have to directly care about the metric for, for that to happen. Right. All right. And, you know, some developers will care about the metrics, will care about the overall trending. Some will care about their, you know, what am I working on today and in the next hour? Right. And I want to help them with that. Right, right. And don't bother me with everything else. Yeah. Help me not drop the ball. Help me do it faster. I'm going to be happier. Like context switching is physically draining. Yeah. At the end of the day, I will, will have done more and will have a wider smile on my face. <laughs> right. By virtue of, of, of these helpers. Yeah, that is cool. That's a win-win uh, situation there. Yes. yes. Right. Definitely. Well, cool. This has been great. I really appreciate you uh, joining us today. You should tell everyone how, if they want to you know, learn more about you or about Linear B, What's you know? How do they find you and uh, get in touch with you? That sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, linearb.io, uh, you can uh, read all about us. Anyone can onboard to our linearb.io. We have a free tier, a free plan. Any anyone can onboard to actually get like get their uh, Git repos connected to our uh, solution. Start enjoying linearb free forever for teams uh, like a single team up to eight developers. So really just go and use it and talk with us. Cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you again. Thanks so much. I I feel like this has just been really interesting in terms of looking at sort of innovative and creative ways of getting development teams um, to be more effective and more efficient and sort of take away all those annoying, the annoying parts of the job so that people can focus on what they really enjoy doing. And, uh, you know, that's, that that always is a, is a win-win. So yeah, this has been great. I really appreciate you joining us today. And for all the listeners, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.